brought to you by Wickles Pickles and UA Sports Marketing. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. How are you doing this morning, Brett? I'm good, man. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Um, been pretty busy with the draft. I don't know about you, but man, that was a lot to keep up with, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that that really, and I guess this can be our first talking point, um, it really it figured itself out from an Alabama perspective quicker than I thought it would in that if you look at Alabama's most volatile prospects in the draft, like we knew that the five guys that went in the first round, was it five, right? Or was it four? It was just four, actually. It was just four, okay. You know, I was, I was confusing Xavier McKinney. It, it, we knew the four guys that went in the first round were going to go in the first round. We knew that. We knew Xavier McKinney was going to be first round, early second round. The question marks were Trayvon Diggs, Raquan Davis, and Terrell Lewis, and all three of them came off the board before the end of the third round, uh, really by the midway point of the third round. So it all it all kind of figured itself out for Alabama uh, a lot quicker than I anticipated, just because when I went into day two, I knew Xavier McKinney was going to come off the board quickly. And where you went from there was going to be interesting because Trayvon Diggs and Raquan Davis were both difficult to project prospects due to uh, performance inconsistencies. I mean, if, if Raquan Davis could have come out after his sophomore year, he probably would have been a, a top 15 pick. Um, but the, the performance since then and its inconsistencies, he, he was hard to project. And the same can be said for, for Terrell Diggs, for, for Trayvon Diggs. And then Terrell Lewis, obviously the injuries are, are what made him difficult to peg in terms of his projection and all three of those guys the three biggest question marks in Alabama's draft class came in the second and third round so by pick when did Terrell Lewis go Terrell Lewis was number 84 and Anthony Jennings was 87 shortly thereafter but by pick 84 Alabama's draft was pretty much figured out so I I thought that uh I thought that was interesting in that it, it went a lot quicker than I anticipated it would, especially when Anthony Jennings goes in the third round, 87th, when he could have very easily gone in the fourth or fifth round. So 87 picks in and Alabama's draft is, is more or less complete. It, it all it, it happened real, real quick for, for Alabama. Yeah, um, and when I started hearing the news about, you know, over half the teams that medically failed um, Terrell Lewis be- – as a result of his health at Alabama and the several or multiple injuries that he dealt with, that became him, that made him become a complete unknown as far as, you know, there were, there was talk maybe he could potentially slide into the first round. I wouldn't really bind that at that point. If there were that many uh, teams concerned about his knee uh, and his, of course, his uh, elbow as well. But I also was like, I don't really see him falling past day two. And, and he ended up going right there, you know, probably around the middle of the third round. And then, like you said, Anthony Jennings followed it up, was drafted just a couple of picks later. Um, but, yeah, I, I did think it was interesting. You had four Alabama players drafted within the top 15 picks. So the top half of the first round, you had four Alabama players already taken. That tied their school record for the most in the first round and then you know you thought okay they have a whole other you know back half of the first round uh to kind of go through maybe they can end up breaking the school record and getting to five they weren't not able to do that and then they had multiple players uh four total players selected 
on day two as well. And then you start thinking, wow, they're already at eight and we're only through three rounds. So hopefully they can get back up to that um, you know, double digit range. And for actually, I think it was five that went on day two. It was not just four. It was five. So they were at nine total through two days. All they needed was just one more guy to slot in there at some point in the draft. And it would have been another double digit drafty list for Alabama. And they ended up having nobody taken on day three. Uh, I kept up with the entire draft, watched it, kept waiting to hear Shaheem Carter's name, thought he would be that guy. I thought it was possible that Jared Maiden could end up sliding in there as well. But I kind of figured him and Matt Womack and Tavita Musica, you know, those guys were probably going to be undrafted free agents. But Shaheem Carter kind of surprised me a little bit. So it was kind of broken up the top half of the first round. Um, And then you kind of went, there was a lull there. Then day two, multiple players went and there was nobody after that. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Yeah, that was, that was kind of strange for, for it to to go that way. Just because if you look at, drafts where you have a bunch of guys taken you tend to have these guys kind of come in waves and um stretch a school throughout a throughout a draft like if you look at lsu which had how many like 14 guys taken right i think it ended up being 15 if i'm not mistaken yeah okay they they had they had a long snapper taken in the sixth round they had uh scrolling through the list lsu also had someone in the fourth round, Rashard Lawrence. So when you stack a huge draft number like that, it tends to be top-level talent and talent towards the end, and Alabama just didn't have that. And to your point about Shaheen Carter, I thought he was someone that would really benefit just from going to the Combine because we didn't have pro days this year. Um, and that was an opportunity, or it would have been an opportunity for – players to establish more value for themselves they didn't have anymore. And I I thought that Shaheen Carter would benefit from that because in terms of solid medicals information, in terms of interviews and seeing them work out in person, there's a very small subsection of people uh, that actually got that benefit. And they are only the people that were invited to the NFL Combine people who weren't invited to the combine and were counting on pro days or individual workouts or whatever to make that impact. They weren't granted that, uh, that luxury this year. So I thought that, although I personally thought that Jared Maiden was probably a more, I, I guess, I guess it's more likely that Jared Maiden stays on an NFL roster than Shaheen Carter. And in my opinion, I, I did think that Shaheen would, would benefit from the fact that he was at the combine and, and franchises were allowed to get a little bit more information on him, but that didn't that didn't end up being the case. Um, so that was that was just something I, I thought. I thought that that would end up in Shaheen Carter being drafted, but it didn't. He signed an unba- undrafted deal with the Jets. Is that right? Yes, he signed okay. with the Jets, and Maiden signed with the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. And I did think that Maine was going to get drafted. I thought he would, but again, it didn't surprise me when he didn't get drafted because he wasn't at the combine. And I know that everybody did the virtual pro days and all that, but I mean, let, let's be real. We all know NFL franchises uh, take the combine seriously. I would argue too seriously, but that's a different conversation for a different day. They take the combine seriously, and and those that that perform there certainly get a get a boost to their their draft stock just like Xavier McKinney got a knock on his draft stock based on how he ran at the uh, NFL combine so 
I thought that he would still get drafted just based on film as opposed to not being at the combine. But I, I guess that's my fault for uh, thinking NFL franchises would evaluate their talent based on film as opposed to based on how they work out in, uh, in tights. Well, see, to me, actually watching the two guys, I felt like Shaheem Carter, due to his you know versatility, was a little bit more of a draftable guy. Now, granted – you know, him having to kind of play down in the slot, if you needed him to do that, I think that was probably his biggest limitation, even though that's what he played for Alabama. He struggled with those uh, really shifty route runners down there in the slot. So I thought bumping him back to safety permanently could really help him uh, actually make him a, a pretty suitable player. And that's why I thought he could potentially be a day three pick somewhere starting in the sixth round is where I thought could be his sweet spot, anywhere from round six to seven. And that ended up not happening. Um, but, yeah, you're right. As far as Jared Maiden goes, it certainly hurt him that he wasn't able to go to the combine and show what he's capable of. I think he's a little bit – I don't think he provides necessarily as much range on the back end as a guy like Shaheen Carter could. Um, and But I do like his run-stopping ability, his, his ability to come up and help uh, in run support. I do like that aspect. Um, but we'll kind of jump back to the top of the draft and get back to some of these players who were drafted. Actually, very quickly on on Jared Maiden, you mentioned the the run stopping thing. That was something he was brought up to the line of scrimmage in the Senior Bowl practice. He played corner in Senior Bowl practice. I'm assuming he was put at some slot corner stuff in the uh, in Senior Bowl practice as well. So I think franchises that were kind of looking at his body and trying to project him to the next level thought that having him closer to the ball closer to the line of scrimmage might benefit him and his opportunity to stay on a on an nfl roster so i do think that that was playing in his advantage that that run stopping ability and and franchises might be looking at him as an option in that regard yeah just one whole thing with him yeah and and, you know there was Multiple guys who were able to go to the Senior Bowl for Alabama, and you know, I guess Maiden's the only one who didn't get drafted, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's true. But yeah, so let's talk about some of these other guys who got drafted a lot earlier. Starting with Tua Tungavaloa, he did end up going number five overall to the Miami Dolphins. There were people, you know, all the way up until the start of the draft, were speculating that he could take a draft day fall simply because of that medical history, um, and that ended up not being the case. And, and to me, pretty much the entire time that I was hearing all these rumors, and when you, you're constantly hearing new sources and people, the way that they're putting things, oh, we don't think that you know we've taken him completely off of our board. Um, just some of the things that you started to hear about Tua, it's like, man, I, I feel like this is a smokescreen, but at the same time, when you hear enough of it, you, you start falling for it. And that's kind of what happened with me a little bit, but I kept coming back to the fact of, I really think he's way too talented of a kid. He fits way too perfectly in what Miami is looking for both on and off the field. You know, that's a franchise that needs a, a presence like Tua Tungvaloa in their locker room, every bit as much as they need his talent on the field. And so I just felt like at the end of the day, he was going to still end up being that pick and he ended up being that guy. I think it's a good situation for him for a couple of reasons. I understand a bunch of Bama fans are really upset with the fact that he ended or not really upset, but they were upset with the fact that he ended up there because they feel like it's a dumpster fire of a franchise. But I'll say this, a, they have a guy in Ryan Fitzpatrick who is ready to be the starter in 2020. So unless two, it just comes out there, he's able to prove that he can stay or he is healthy and really ball out he's not going to be forced into action in that first season. I think that allows him to grow both mentally, both in the playbook, and allows him to get fully healthy uh, you know, to 100%. Plus, they had a ton of draft picks 
um, that they used on you know, at least three of them. You know, you're talking about Austin Jackson is a guy out of USC who they took in the first round to be their future left tackle. They took Robert Hunt, uh, I think, in the second round, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was the third. But he's going to come in and be, you know, whether that be right guard or right tackle. And then on day three, they took Solomon Kinley, the uh, the left guard out of Georgia. So they had a three quality offensive line prospects, in my opinion, to really bolster that group. They also signed Eric Flowers and Ted Karras in free agency. So that position group starting to look really good. Um, the protection for the future for Tua is starting to look really good. They went out and they signed Jordan Howard in free agency, the former UAB and Indiana running back. They, uh, they also traded for Matt Breida with the San Francisco 49ers. So they got a nice little one-two punch there at running back going into this season. Uh, so they should be able to provide a complimentary run game. And then I think with the weapons in the passing game with Preston Williams, uh, Devontae Parker, Mike Gusecki, they're kind of loaded at that spot too. At least for now, I think they needed to go out and maybe try to find that number three receiver maybe next year. But if two assists this year, all those rookie offensive linemen really develop and start to gel you talk about next offseason, you're going to have another first-round pick. I actually think they have multiple first-round picks next year, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that, but I think they have multiple uh, day-two selections at the very least. So they're going to be able to continue to add pieces around him in that offense. And so I, to me, uh, I think it was the perfect situation for him. What did you think about that? I'm just glad cooler heads prevailed when it came to Totua. Like, as you mentioned, people worked themselves up in a tizzy with his – injury prone tag and I'm, I'm sure they're the the left-handed thing has has come up um etc cetera, etc cetera. but um cooler has prevailed i guess it's the best way to to put it the dolphins are a bad team who need a long-term franchise quarterback and and anybody who's watched even a little college football over the last two years knows that that tua has the god-given talent to, to do that, and even if he's not available to fully take over the team when the football season starts, if it does start on time, that's perfectly fine because, again, when you, when you draft a quarterback in the top 10, you're not drafting that person so you can be good in the ensuing season. You're drafting that person so you can be good for the 10 and 15 seasons that follow. So if you lose the first season at that, it's not that big a deal. You're getting your, the bulk of your value later on in the in the contract and in his tenure with your with your franchise. I think the the best way I heard it put was Mel Kiper said, if if you like the quarterback, you take the quarterback. You just do it. And if if you like Tua, you take him when when you can. So the Dolphins did that, and I imagine they'll they are more than eager to hand the keys over to him. I think you raise excellent points. And, you know, that's why I don't necessarily blame the Green Bay Packers for trading up for Jordan Love. I know a lot of people do. Um, they didn't like that pick. But, A, if if you feel like he is the future successor to a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you do whatever it takes to get him. And that includes trading up. People thought they could have, uh, you know, kind of sat back and let him fall to number 30. We don't know what would have happened as far as a team trading in front of them before 30 to get Jordan Love. And any time I have this really big belief that if you believe that a guy is your franchise quarterback, you don't sit and wait. 
you go and get him because of the importance of that position. So the fact that the Miami Dolphins were willing to take a guy like Tua Tungvalu, they didn't trade up for him. Um, they didn't necessarily go get him, but at least when he did fall into their laps, they decided to say, hey, this kid's way too talented to pass up, and I think he's going to do great things in Miami. But you have Jedrick Wills, who went number 10 overall to the Cleveland Browns, and I love this signing as well. Baker Mayfield needed more protection, uh, and the Browns went out in the offseason. They got Jack Conklin to come in there and start at right tackle. He was one of, if not the top, uh, offensive line free agents available, so they got that position locked up. Jedrick Wills played right tackle at Alabama, but he has the skill set and the ability to kick over to the left side, and that's exactly what he's going to do for the Browns. It will probably be a little bit of an adjustment period. I feel like he was a plug-and-play starter from day one if you had put him at right tackle, but kicking him over to the left side, now everything's going to be backwards for him, and he's going to be adjusting to the speed of the NFL. So expect some growing pains from him on that left side, but I do think he has the ability to stay there, and I feel like it was an excellent pick for the Cleveland Browns. What did you think about Jedrick Wills' Heading, uh, heading to Cleveland. I thought what was going to be most interesting about where Jedrick was selected was where he was relative to the other top offensive linemen in, in the class. Because by, by most consensus, by most projections, there were four offensive linemen who were rated as the top four in some order in this draft. And, and I'm going to read them in order that they were drafted. Andrew Thomas, he was taken out of Georgia. He was taken number four overall. Jedrick Wills was taken number 10 overall. Number 11, right after Jedrick, was Mekhi Becton, the Louisville lineman. He went to the Jets. And then Tristan Wirfs went number 13 overall to the Bucks. Tristan Wirfs from from noted offensive line factory, Iowa. I, I It seemed like there were enough teams in the top 15, maybe top 20, that needed offensive line help to the point that all four of those guys – were almost certain to go in the top 15, if not the top 20. So I I didn't fear for Jedrick Wills dropping below 15, for instance, because even if something weird happened and he were the third or fourth offensive lineman taken, he probably still would have been in the top 15. That ended up being true because of the four, Wirfs was the last one taken. He was taken 13. And actually, as you already mentioned, Austin Jackson – Another offensive lineman out of USC was taken 18. So there were actually five offensive linemen taken in the in the top 20. So uh, with Wills, for me, it wasn't what number he was picked. It was where he fell within those four. Uh, I was I was kind of surprised that Andrew Thomas was the pick at four for the Giants. I, I really thought that Judge Wills was going to be that. Um, and if it weren't Wills, I kind of thought it was going to be Tristan Wirfs. I thought they were one and two, but the the Giants clearly disagree. Um, same franchise that took Daniel Jones. Do with that what you will. But I, I just thought that was that was interesting that of the top four in the draft, Jedrick Wilson, the, the second one off the board. Yeah, um, and I was kind of surprised too. Granted, I started to hear things on draft day, uh, you know, kind of rumors swirling that it was possible that Andrew Thomas would be the first tackle off the board. And that did surprise me a little bit. The most immediate need, in my opinion, for that New York Giants team was right tackle. And I feel like Jedrick Wills was my offensive tackle one in this draft. Like I said, I thought he was a plug-and-play day one starter. I, I think uh, Andrew Thomas is a plug-and-play as well. But I think that you know what Dave Gettleman and, and, and the, the Giants are looking for at offensive tackle, I definitely thought it would be one of Tristan Morris, Andrew Thomas, or Jedrick Wills. And I had them taking Wills in my mock draft. They ended up going with Thomas. 
He does have experience at right tackle from his, his days at Georgia early in his career, made the shift to left tackle. Maybe like they like the fact that they actually get to see him at both right and left tackle during his career at Georgia, and they know that he can play both spots. So as of right now, they have a glaring hole at right tackle. Uh, he's going to come in and probably start there immediately. And then you have Nate Solder, who's getting up there in age. He's 30-plus years old, has not really performed that great uh, for the couple of years he's been in New York after being a massive free agent signing for them. But maybe they view Andrew Thomas as a guy who can start his career for at least a year, maybe two years uh, at right tackle, and then have the ability to kick over like he did at Georgia and play left tackle when you keep that spot locked up, keep Daniel Jones' blindside protected for the next you know decade plus so i understand the logic behind it i think you could have done the same thing with jedrick wills and i like wills's you know skill set and what he could have brought to the table a little bit more than than andrew thomas but i also understand their logic in that as far as henry ruggs he was the next player off the board number 12 overall give me your initial thoughts on his landing spot with the las vegas raiders i was i didn't know what to think coming into the draft really as long as both Ruggs and Judy were taken anywhere between like eight and 22, any, anywhere either of them fell in that combination of picks would have been totally fine with me. Cause you assume that somewhere in that, and, and this is what ultimately happened that Ruggs, Judy and CD lamb are all going to go off the board. Then of course, Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson went 21 and 22. So it ended up being, five wide receivers from 12 to 22. And, and you kind of figured with a wide receiver draft like this one that a bunch of those guys would come off the board in that range. So I figured as long as both Ruggs and Judy went off the board between 8 and 22, it would have made sense to me, put, put it that way. I, I do find it interesting that the Raiders were so gung-ho about getting – rugs at 12 because as has been mentioned since then stands to reason that the Raiders could have traded down maybe to 15 16 17 to to get rugs but they said they didn't want to take any chances because they they really liked rugs and I think the I think I saw something how they're trusting their coaching staff now led by John Gruden to to make the the best of of Henry Ruggs so I, I thought that was interesting, but really any any combination of, of them being picked between eight and twenty-two would have would have made sense to me. But the one thing that stood out was that Ruggs is is someone who I feel like would have been available at fifteen or sixteen. Um, but the Raiders didn't do that. So it goes to show how high they how high their opinion of Henry Ruggs, the the third is, and and I imagine that will play into his usage once he once he gets to Vegas. So that'll that'll be a good thing. Well, I will say that you know I've been hearing a lot of things about NFL teams wanting to potentially move up, whether it be the Philadelphia Eagles down there at number twenty one, whether it be the Denver Broncos at number fifteen. They ended up with Jerry Judy. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, you know there were a lot of teams, or at least multiple teams, who had Henry Ruggs as their wide receiver one in this draft. And if he would have started to fall a little bit, um, I wouldn't have been surprised if a team like the Philadelphia Eagles or the uh, um, Denver Broncos would have made a move up for him. And what's funny is is 
he ends up in an offense that I think a lot of people may, may not be thrilled with as far as having Derek Carr as his quarterback or potentially or probably at some point Marcus Mariota, um, if we're being honest, my prediction uh, with what I think could happen there. But I do like um, what they have in place there for him. They have Tyrell Williams. They have Hunter, uh, Hunter Renfro, who is more of a slot guy. Or he's solely a slot guy, to be honest. You have Nelson Aguilar, who they signed in free agency. So they have some other weapons around Henry Ruggs. He's going to come in, probably be, you know, more than likely be the number one option in that passing offense outside of maybe a guy like Darren Waller. But he's not going to have all of this attention put on him because I think they have enough other weapons to kind of take some of the heat off of him. Plus, they have Josh Jacobs there in that offense as well. He was drafted in the first round by the Las Vegas Raiders last year, had a hell of a rookie season. Um, I think that now, you know, going into year two, you're going to see him utilize a lot more in the passing game. That should be able to take some heat off of rugs. Just what you can do with him uh, as far as being a, a player and a prospect, I think he's going to provide that Las Vegas offense with everything they had hoped they were going to get from Antonio Brown when they traded for him prior to last season. And we all saw how that work out, worked out. It did not. But I think Ruggs and his you know personality type, he's a willing blocker in the run game. Um, he's a very selfless player. The exact opposite, the polar opposite, as a guy like Antonio Brown, that's excellent for that locker room and excellent for that franchise. So I had no problem with the pick. I uh, actually really ended up enjoying it. But speaking of Jerry Judy, he ended up being that next Alabama player off the list, coming in at number 15 to the Denver Broncos. Like I was saying before, uh, I, from what I'd heard or read, um, that the Broncos were very interested in Henry Ruggs III. I think they, you know, you talk about Jerry Judy being a consolation prize. That's pretty crazy to think about. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that it was true. Maybe it was Jerry Judy and he was the guy all along but I think they would have been happy with either one of the two Alabama receivers because they are very similar. The, the straight line speed and stuff with Ruggs is a little bit more. You can do a little a little bit more as far as him taking the tops off the defenses. But with Jerry Judy, he also offers you know elite underneath game with his route running and things like that. And while Henry Ruggs is a very underrated route runner, um, he's not quite you know I don't think anybody's really as good as Jerry Judy as far as that aspect in this class. And I like what he's going to do for the Denver Broncos offense. You look at it last year and what they had, Cortland Sutton, that receiver, you can throw it up to him, let him go win 50-50 balls a little bit. They did go out and get K.J. Hamler in the second round, another receiver out of Penn State. He's got he's a smaller guy, but he's got a ton of speed. can kind of move him around a little bit. Adding Jerry, Judy, and Hamler both to that Denver Broncos offense with Cortland Sutton, uh, Noah Font, and Deshaun Hamilton – Drew Locke, who I think showed a ton of potential as a rookie quarterback, is going to have a, a lot of options to throw to, and I think he's got two wide receiver one options in Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. What did you think about the pick? Uh, I mean, John Elway said that Judy was the number one wide receiver on on their board. You can never take anything these NFL people say to be 100% fact when it comes to the, the draft process, but I, I will say this. If Jerry Judy is your consolation prize. Drew Locke is having a pretty good day. Absolutely. 100% agree. So did you have any other thoughts on him? or did, as, as far as did you like where Jerry Judy ended up in Denver, or did you like where Henry Ruggs ended up in Las Vegas more? Ooh. Um, well, I mean, Ruggs is going to Vegas, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's so fair. He's, he's, <laughs> he is going to – to a, a Raiders franchise that has Josh Jacobs and they have some 
some proven playmakers there. So that probably works out well for for rugs, but but Judy also has a, a promising quarterback and and Drew Locke. I don't know. I imagine I imagine both of them will will make themselves a, a fair share of, of capital in uh, in the National Football League. I completely agree. So that's gonna wrap it up for the first round prospects for Alabama. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to discuss those five guys who went on day two, and then we'll spend just a little bit of time on those two undrafted free agents who have signed so far, and then we'll wrap things up. So we appreciate you guys tuning in. This is the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and UA Sports Marketing. And welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and UA Sports Marketing. Once again, this is Clint Lamb. And I'm sitting with Brett Hudson. We're talking about the 2020 NFL draft and where certain Alabama players ended up and what we think about that. So let's dive right back into it. All right, Brett. So the next guy off the board, Xavier McKinney, everybody thought he would potentially be a first round pick, fell to the second round. Give me your thoughts on him ending up in New York with the Giants. Well, before I I get to that, we should mention that Wickles Pickles Probably one of the better quarantine food items you can possibly get, right? A, a wide variety of pickle-based products, but it's not just pickles. There's spicy pickles. There's serious flavor in these products. They have a sandwich spread. There's pickles, relishes, and okras. Anytime we have Hunter on the podcast, I'm going to ask him what he's been doing culinarily with pickles. We did that at the end of the most recent Bama Beat Roundtable, and I'm sure we'll, we'll do that again in the near future, but it's a family recipe that's 90 years in the making. Go to wicklespickles.com to learn more about their products. When it comes to Xavier, I, I think I already mentioned, I thought he would be a first round guy just because that that kind of talent combined with a, a, a defensive back position, those guys tend to tend to see their name called in the in the first round. That wasn't the case for him, but I think it was more of a environment it was more of a cause of his draft environment than it was himself and what, what I mean by that is when you look at safeties in this draft uh, just look at picks 36 where Xavier McKinney went through 45 about a 10 draft pick span there four safeties went Xavier McKinney uh 36 to the Giants 37 was Kyle Duggar the safety from Lenore Ryan a, a really good D2 program uh, Grant Delpit went 44 to the Cleveland Browns, and Antoine Winfield Jr. went 45 to the Bucks. Uh, Winfield from from Minnesota, and that was kind of emblematic of of this safety draft class, where there were a bunch of safeties in this class that were considered somewhat comparable. So franchises didn't feel the need to put a first round draft pick on one of them when so they were all going to be available in the second or in the early third. And if you continue past that cluster of four, uh, Jeremy Chen was taken with the final pick of the second round. He's from Southern Illinois. Early in the third round, Cal's Ashton Davis was taken. And then Brandon Jones from Texas was taken two picks after that. So you've got seven safeties taken in the span of about one round. Um, and, and that happened to be the, the second and the third rounds. That's where franchises evaluated the the safeties in this draft so it's obviously good for Xavier McKinney that he was the the first safety taken in in this draft and I think he would have been in just about any draft that that he entered he just happened to enter a draft where franchises seemed to deem a lot of this talent comparable to one another thus there wasn't 
the premium on McKinney to make him a first round pick, which is why he fell to the the second round. But I, I think he's he's found a, a spot where they're going to use him because how long have the Giants been without Landon Collins, or is he still there? No, Landon Collins signed a free agent contract, a massive free agent contract with the Washington Redskins prior to last season. Last season, okay. So they uh they've only been missing Landon Collins for for one year, but they uh they figured they would they figure they would fix that fix that void with another Alabama safety. You can you can see why when when you watch a full season of Xavier play. Yeah, and they went out and they traded um, a, a pretty big trade last year uh, where they sent Odell Beckham Jr. to the Cleveland Browns. They got Jabril Peppers back in that trade, and he really started to thrive there in New York during his first season. He's a former first-round pick. What I love about adding Xavier McKinney to Jabril Peppers is the versatility that you're providing that defense because both guys, I mean, they're, they're kind of Swiss Army knives where you can do a lot of different things. You're not necessarily going to be putting Jabril Peppers uh, as a slot corner or really anywhere other than safety or dropping him down into the box, letting him play a little bit of dime linebacker, things like that in certain situ- situations. But with Xavier McKinney, you have another guy who you can kind of roll down there to play dime linebacker if you need him to. He can play uh, safety in a, or any kind of too high safety look. He can drop down there uh, and cover the slot as a nickel corner. So the versatility that they're going to have on the back half of their defense, I think is really going to help uh, new head coach Joe Judge during his uh, first season as the head coach. Joe Judge, by the way, spent a little bit of time in Tuscaloosa with Nick Saban as a special teams coordinator, or not in a coordinator, but special teams assistant, kind of moved on uh, and it's kind of bounced around. Now he's the head coach with the New York Giants. So, some familiarity there as far as Nick Saban and Joe Judge. And I think that Nick Saban probably gave Xavier McKinney. I always call him Xavier. It's Xavier McKinney. I, I tend to do that. But Xavier is going to provide, uh, I-, I think, that he got glowing reviews from Nick Saban as far as that pick is concerned. And, you know, we did. We saw uh, Landon Collins fall to the second round to the New York Giants back in 2015. He did fall to the very first pick at pick number 33. But he ended up being one of the best safeties in the league, which is why he just got paid as one of the best safeties in the league. So expect Xavier McKinney, despite the fact that he fell to the second round, to assume an immediate starting role and and to thrive. I think a lot of his falling had to do with the fact that this class was so loaded at wide receiver, at corner, and at uh, along the offensive line. There were so many of those guys that were taken in the first round, I think six of each, that you start filling out some of these other positions like pass rusher and you had quarterbacks going off the board uh, relatively quickly. It just pushed a lot of those non-premium positions down the board a little bit, and that's why you saw him fall to day two. But he was excellent value, and he's a he's a day one starter in my opinion. Moving on to the next guy, Trevon Diggs, number 51 overall to the Dallas Cowboys. What did you think about that pick? Again, I was I just had no idea what to think of where he, Raekwon, and Terrell Lewis would would go because they are trademark examples of un un uh, what's the right word of atypical measurables not quite matching up with the production that you would see. Now you and I have talked about this in the past, and we weren't as down on the 2019 season that that Trayvon had as others. But it was undeniably inconsistent, to to put it that way. So, and corner is not a position where you're allowed to be inconsistent at the college level, much less in the uh, in the NFL. So, it was 
it was really hard to project where he was going to end up. And I can see why the Cowboys did what they did at, at 51. And I'm not criticizing it. I just think it's, it's interesting to, to make that kind of play because again, there's, there's a lot of high ceiling, low floor there. But if you look around him, there are several examples of people who kind of fit that description in that, in that range. Like so Trayvon got taken 51, 49, Chase Claypool, the wide receiver in Notre Dame. He kind of fits that mold. Um, Jalen Hurts, 53, also fits that mold. You're not really sure, 100% sure what you're going to get out of him in the NFL or how you're going to, to use him. He's kind of a uh, tumultuous draft selection, I, I guess you could say in terms of sure things and, and what you're getting. And, and Raekwon was at 56, which we'll, we'll get to shortly. Uh, Josh Uche at 60, the, the linebacker from, from Michigan, another example of measurables not quite correlating to production as well as, as you would like. So I, I'm, my first reaction was to say that taking Trayvon as high as 51 felt like a risk just based on, again, the inconsistencies of of 2019 but there also seem to be several picks that kind of fit that mold in this back half of the second round so maybe this is just where this is kind of a sweet spot for nfl teams to take a a slight risk on a on a draft pick okay so to me with this situation i feel like the cowboys did a very good job in the first round of kind of locking themselves up to uh a, a really good player in C.D. Lamb, who, in my opinion, is one of those kind of can't-miss prospects. He's going to come in and be a one-two punch there with Amari Cooper at receiver. Having him really allowed them to kind of take more of a, a shot as far as getting a, another potential playmaker in the second round. And Trevon Diggs, I mean, you know, it, his lack of willingness as far as being a tackler or in-run support some of that might can be attributed to the fact that he was, you know, recovering from an injury. He had concerns about staying healthy throughout the year. He was one of those guys that decided to sit out the bowl game. I know a lot of Alabama fans were kind of not happy about that, but for him, he wanted to make sure that he held his his uh, draft stock in place and didn't want to risk getting injured. So the fact that maybe he didn't put as much effort in stopping the run, I think he is a very capable tackler uh, as a perimeter corner which is why I think he could also end up making the transition to safety if the Cowboys needed him to. I don't think they're going to, but some people, when I brought up the fact that I think he could make that bump back, brought up his uh, lack of consistency as far as being a tackler, and I just feel like a lot of that was um, you know, him trying to preserve himself, and you can blame him for that. What does that say about his personality? You know, Whatever the case may be, but he's now financially secure. He was a second-round pick, should get a pretty decent contract, so I think he's going to be just fine, but he was certainly a guy that Dallas needed after they lost Byron Jones, um, who is now gone to the Miami Dolphins. They do have, uh, they were able to re-sign Anthony Brown. Jadobia Woozy is another guy who kind of posi- provides some positional flexibility. And then they have Jordan Lewis, but they need another true perimeter corner. And I feel like Trevon Diggs, with his natural ball skills, can come in and replace a guy like Byron Jones and really be a playmaker for that Cowboys defense. So I, I feel like that was a, an excellent pick for them. Um, as you can tell, there hasn't been a lot of picks that I didn't like as far as where they ended up and, and where they were taken. Um, and yes, some of that could probably be due to the fact that I cover Alabama. I know the players well. I want to see them do well. But at the same time, I just felt like looking through 
where guys ended up, it, it just seemed like perfect situations for them, whether it be to get early playing time, whether it be, you know, the long-term outlook, I really feel like it all seemed to fit. There was nobody that got drafted. The only one that I would potentially say that did not work out is former Alabama quarterback, uh, Jalen Hurts. The fact that he ended up sitting behind a pro bowl caliber quarterback and Carson Wentz, that's the only one where I can say, okay, I didn't really like that fit. I love the fact that he went 53 overall. That that's awesome for him. Um, but as far as the fit, you know, short-term and long-term, Carson Wentz is still pretty young. Uh, I've heard some things about the the Philadelphia Eagles offensive coordinator talking about trying to implement two quarterback systems and kind of revolutionize the game that way. Uh, there were some comments that he made a while back, not you know within the last couple of months, I think it was just over a year ago, but where he wanted to maybe try to start doing something like that. And, and that would make sense as far as, you know, bringing in a guy who can do a lot of different things for you and Jalen Hurts. And he can, you know, he's a very capable quarterback prospect if you get some of the things worked out on the mental aspect of the game. So that's one that I didn't like. But Trevon Diggs, I, I really like where he ended up. I think it's going to be a good for, fit for him. And I think he, you know, maybe not immediately assumes a starting role, but he should be able to get pressed into significant action early. Next guy on the list, Raquan Davis. Were you surprised that he ended up going in the second round? I mean, uh, a little. Yeah, but uh, again, if if a franchise believes they have the keys to tap into the potential that his body suggests he has, then you should have taken him earlier than 56, plainly. Um, but I, I, yes, I was a little surprised that he went that high. I thought he would be a third or fourth round type, which, I mean, he was only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight picks removed from from the third round. So, I mean, what's the difference between 56 and 65 in the, in the grand scheme of things? Um, but no, I, I was a little surprised, but, but again, if, if the dolphins think they have the keys to that car, then man, is it worth it? The, the flip side to it is you have less information at the end of this draft process than you do any other for very obvious pandemic related reasons. You weren't, given the opportunity to have Raekwon Davis come to Miami to come to your facility, to work out, to meet your coaches and, and let your front office guys get a feel for his personality. You weren't allowed to go to campus to pro day, to have conversations with him there. You just, you didn't have the same draft prep that you have in, in previous years. So this is one of those where if you can figure out the, the person, then the player is going to be real, real good. But I feel like, this is a draft cycle where teams are less likely to have figured out the person than they have been otherwise. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And, and and I do think that when you talk about Raekwon Davis, the fact they had so many picks, um, it, whether it be the three in the first round, they had a couple in the second round before they ended up taking him. Uh, I feel like it really gave the Dolphins the ability to go out and, and take a risk on a guy like Raquan Davis and draft him for what he could be, not necessarily what he's been. And he certainly showed or shown in the past that he there's some flashes there of being a really high quality talent. It's just a lack of consistency. And it almost seems like in some ways uh, he regressed over the course of his career at Alabama. That's rather concerning, but you're talking about height, weight, speed, athleticism type of guy. You know, he's a first guy off the bus kind of player. And and I like where he ended up there with Brian Flores in Miami's defense. You know, he's a Bill Belichick disciple. 
um, who really values positional flexibility. They play multiple fronts, whether it be a, an odd man front, an even man front. And Raekwon can provide a lot as far as, you know, being a five tech in your three man front, kicking inside uh, down to th- some three tech. They drafted Christian Wilkins in the first round out of Clemson last year. He wasn't really necessarily a sexy pick in the first round, but he was a really steady pro during his first year, and a lot of people expect a big jump for him in year two. So adding Raekwon with him, with Davon Godchow out of uh, LSU, with some other guys that they already have on the roster, they signed Emmanuel Ogba in free agency. They signed Shaq Lawson out of Clemson in free agency as well. So that defensive line is starting to set up really nicely for Miami, and I think Raekwon is just another versatile piece that that adds to that group. So I liked that. Um, it was nice to see him kind of sneak in there into the second round. I had him as a third-round grade, and the reason that I had him as a third-round guy is, you know, that's that's where I start to get really comfortable taking a risk on a player because typically in a standard draft, if you have just the one pick per round, you use your first-round pick and your second-round pick on getting, you know, guys who you expect to come in and pretty much start from day one, um, you know, guys that I feel like are a lot safer picks and then starting in that third round it's like okay we can start to take some risk on some some high upside players but because the Miami Dolphins had so many first uh, and second round picks they were able to take a chance on on Raekwon at the end of the second so it worked out great for him and I was happy to see that then there was a little bit of a lull between pick number 56 and pick number 84 which is where Terrell Lewis went um, and which was you know he went to the Los Angeles Rams I absolutely loved that fit for him uh, and where he ended up. Granted, you know, he's going from Alabama and Washington, D.C., which is the East Coast, all the way to the West Coast, L.A. That's going to be a huge culture shock for him, uh, regardless of if you pair it, compare it to Washington or Alabama. But schematically, I think he'll fit in really well with the Rams' defense. And I think that he's got an early uh, a chance at early playing time with the Rams simply because, you know, Dante Fowler Jr., a former first-round pick, uh, he ended up being a free agent, signed with the uh, Atlanta Falcons. You had Clay Matthews, who was another edge player rotational piece for L.A. last year. Um, they decided to cut him. He's a free agent. So they, they lost two potential or two edge players from last year. Terrell Lewis has a chance uh, to come in and really, you know, maybe not assume a starting role right out of the gate. I think he's got a lot of rawness to him because he missed so much time due to injuries. Um, that's a lot of games that he missed and ex- playing experience that he could have gotten. But as far as his raw tools, if he can stay healthy and he was able to prove that he could stay healthy, um, I think he can have a Carl Lawson type of impact for L.A. And what I mean by Carl Lawson, I'm sure Alabama fans are familiar with him. He played at Auburn, kind of dealt with the same situation as Terrell Lewis, where he dealt with multiple injuries during his career at Auburn, fell to the fourth round to the Cincinnati Bengals, back when he was drafted and ended up being an excellent rotational piece uh, for that squad so far. And he's been able to, for the most part, because he's in more of a limited rotational role, he's been able to stay healthy. I think that's the perfect situation or the blueprint for a guy like Terrell Lewis and him finding success in the NFL. What did you think about uh, T. Lou ended up in, uh, excuse me, I almost said St. Louis in L.A.? (laughs) I think you described it well when you said the third round is a place where you feel most comfortable taking um, moderate to high risk, but also high reward prospects. And I mean, I'm not sure that anybody in this draft fits that mold more perfectly than Terrell Lewis with his obvious injury history, but the obvious pass rush ability uh, that he, that he contains. And if you go, 
three picks later to Anthony Jennings. This was, I think it's important to know where he went, which is the Patriots. This feels so Patriots to me. Like this feels like if, if the Patriots didn't take him here, Anthony Jennings almost certainly would have fell into the fourth or fifth round, right? Like that's where he was widely projected. But someone like the Patriots can look at a player like Anthony Jennings who is productive but doesn't necessarily jump off the screen to you. Like if you if you watch an Alabama game, you're going to notice Terrell Lewis more often because he's going to do things that wow you, that catch your eye. But then you're going to look at the stat sheet at the end of the game and you're going to see that Anthony Jennings had two more tackles, half more tackles for a loss, an extra sack, and maybe a forced fumble or something that Terrell Lewis didn't have. So this seems like someone that perfectly fits the ethos of the New England Patriots. And and that, that obviously benefited him because, again, he was someone who was widely projected as a fourth or fifth round guy. And the Patriots get him about midway through the third round. Yeah, and and I love that value, or maybe not the value as far as where I had him projected, which was an early day three pick, but I love the fit um, for, for him getting a chance to be put in the best position to succeed simply because Bill Belichick, like Brian Flores with the Miami Dolphins, he values positional flexibility. And a guy like Anthony Jennings, one thing you're going to get from him is he's going to be able to come in and he's going to be able to be a productive run defender on run downs, um, more of an edge set, uh, setting edge. He's going to be able to um, get his hands in, in the passing lanes of opposing quarterbacks. But there's also the possibility, and we saw him a little bit in the senior bowl, he kind of played a little bit of some off-ball linebacker as well. We actually saw that at Alabama a little bit too. Um, and he showed some, you know, promise there. And he's not going to be Dante Hightower. I think he's going to be the 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 mirror image of Dante Hightower in the sense of Dante is more of an off-ball linebacker that you can put in a lot of situations playing on the edge. I think Anthony Jennings is an edge player who has the ability to drop back and play some off-ball linebackers. So I think those guys perfectly uh, <clears throat> complement each other. I guess you'd say. I'm not saying they're going to end up. You know, being, you know, Dante Hightower is probably going to be on the field for every single snap. But Anthony Jennings, as far as the similarities between what he could provide the New England Patriots and what a guy like Dante Hightower has provided them, um, I think you can get some similarities there. Uh, and, and also, Anthony Jennings is not the pure pass rusher that a lot of other, of, you know, prospects in this draft were. But what I like about him, he's got great snap anticipation. When you turn on that LSU tape, you saw a guy, I mean, he, he was timing the snap perfectly, almost to the point where you were like, man, I, I don't know how you're getting it this close without getting off sides. But it, when you go and look, I mean, he's making, the ball's making a very slight movement right as he's getting off the snap. So he timed it perfectly, and that helps mask some of those deficiencies as far as being a pass rusher when you're able to get that much of a jump on opposing offensive linemen. I mean, that's excellent. So I think he could provide a little bit as far as the pass rush, but he's going to be more of an edge setting uh, outside linebacker. Um, he's going to be able to work in multiple fronts and then you can kind of drop him back and, and have him play some off ball linebacker, dropping him into coverage a little bit. And that also helps your defense as well. So I love that uh, pick as far as where he ended up for him. Um, and and it's like I said, really the only one that I have a question with uh, as far as early playing time and all that stuff. 
is Jalen Hurts going to the Philadelphia Eagles? Outside of that, I thought it was a home run for all of these Alabama players. I thought outside of Xavier McKinney falling to the second round, everybody got really good value. They, you could tell that they were very valued by NFL teams, and that was great to see. Um, you know, I think we've talked a little bit, of course, already about Jared Maiden and Shaheem Carter, but to wrap this up, you know, Carter going to the Jets, you know, that's fine. They have Jamal Adams and Marcus May. They're talking about potentially one or both of those guys being on the trade block. If they don't want to work out something long-term with Jamal Adams, we'll kind of see how that plays out. But Shaheen Carter might have a chance to stick on that roster, um, especially if he can prove to add a little bit of positional flexibility. But Jared Maiden, you know, the, the San Francisco 49ers were a spot that a lot of people – had projected Xavier McKinney to end up at the end of the first round. And the fact that that didn't end up happening, but they end up with the other Alabama safety as an undrafted free agent, that just tells you uh, they didn't really address that position during the draft like a lot of people thought they would. That bodes well for a guy like Jared Maiden. So do you have any more final thoughts on either of those two guys? Emma was clearly very upset about Shaheen Carter not getting drafted. I don't know what that was about, Emma. It's okay. He, he signed with the Jets. It's fine. I promise. Um, <laughs> both, both of those guys were projected if they were going to get drafted at all, it was probably going to be in the sixth or seventh round. And that's in that range where, uh, I mean, it, it sucks that neither of those guys nor their families get to experience the moment of hearing their names being called, uh, by commissioner Goodell during the NFL draft. They don't get to see the, the name graphic come up on ESPN and all that. So that sucks. But in the, and the reality of the situation, like the practicality of the future career, um, they're better off being undrafted free agents because they have a certain amount of control over where they go. They can negotiate certain things. They can kind of size up the situations where they're most likely to be on the 53 man roster when the season starts. Um, so while it's unfortunate that neither of them were drafted, and I am still of the belief that if, there were a pro day and this were a normal draft cycle that Jared Maiden would have been drafted. I think it ultimately benefited both of them that they weren't drafted because then they got to have a certain degree of, of control over their uh, upcoming destination that guys that get drafted in the sixth and seventh round don't. That's a great point. And I was actually talking to somebody about that yesterday. When you start getting towards the end of the draft, um, especially there probably in the back half, you know, really in the seventh round at any point, but especially when you get to the back half of the seventh round, it's almost better um, from a, a contract perspective uh, and for a landing spot uh, perspective to go ahead and, and go undrafted because then you get to select where you're, you're, where you're going to go. Now that's going to be dictated based off of the teams that want you, but typically there's going to at least be two or three uh, who are wanting your services. And then if you're a very highly valued undrafted free agent, um, then you can end up having guys offer you more money than you would have gotten had you been a seventh round pick, you know, a lot more guaranteed money just because there becomes a bidding war to some degree. Um, I think that happened. I don't remember the player, but someone was expected to sign with one team. And then I think it was the Cowboys. It, maybe not, maybe it was somebody else, but they came in and offered a much bigger deal and so that player kind of pivoted and at the last second, switched uh, who he was going to sign with. That doesn't happen if you get drafted in the seventh. You have a, a certain slot as far as the money you're going to make, and it is what it is. So, yeah, I think for both of those guys, um, especially Jaron Maiden, I, I think I like Shaheem Carter, the prospect, a little bit more. 
but I also can can acknowledge that I think Jared Maiden ended up in a much better spot for for being able to stick around just because of the need there at safety. Now, like I said, if the the Jets decide to trade uh, Marcus May, who's entering the last year of his contract, or Jamal Adams, that kind of changes things a little bit. But um, yeah, it was good to see where those guys ended up. I haven't heard anything as far as Matt Womack and or uh, Tavita Musica and where they could potentially end up. I don't know if either of them will end up anywhere. I know um, Matt Womack has some starts under his belt. Uh, I feel like he was way too limited as far as being a right tackle to kind of stick around on an NFL roster at that spot. You know, you're talking about the speed being even more difficult to contain, but maybe as a guard, um, you know, putting him in a phone booth and kind of making sure that he didn't have to be, or he can't be exploited with his limited athleticism. Um, I think that would certainly help him. And I think he's good enough to at least get a camp invite. So kind of wait around and and see where we land with that. But that's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast. We've been talking about the 2020 NFL Draft in in regards to Alabama players. It's been a great conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you hopping on here with me, uh, Brett. And I hope to talk to you again soon, brother. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk later in the week to continue the spring position breakdown, right? Absolutely. We'll be talking about the running backs, and then next week we'll hit the defensive line, and that'll kind of wrap things up. So expect another episode uh, you know, later this week, and we're looking forward to that. And once again, we appreciate you guys always listening in. This has been the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and UA Sports Marketing. <laughs>